Uh, Professor Susan Boyson from Bits University is uh, with me now, part of our panel here. Prof, good afternoon to you. Hi, Stephen. So if you were writing Professor Zuma's final speech as leader of the ANC, where would you start? I would start with an apology. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but then I am not Jacob Zuma. <laughs> he is probably going to try to resurrect a few more positive moments. It's a big scratch to go and find them, identify them. But no doubt he would come out with the radical aspect and on the way to the revolution as if the ANC still exists in this little time bubble. And of, But, of course, there is a good reason why he made his free education, higher education, even if there are certain exclusions there, uh, uh, income exclusions, why well, he made that this morning. He needs to create, create a positive vibe around that. So, but it is a long stretch for him to come up where he can speak positive as much as he likes there. What is going to be in the nation's mind and even in the audience's mind are all the other hundreds of things yeah. that have gone wrong. The shame and the discredit that has been brought to South Africa and to the South African state, to those important state institutions, strategic, economically and strategic, security-wise, institutions that have been, that were captured. People can just think about ANC, not just in terms of government and state, but in terms of the ANC, a highly divided entrance 10 years ago in Polokwane and exit even more divided. So he has wreaked havoc and almost disseminated the, 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 the germ of corruption and capture and patronage in the ANC as it fused with the state. So there are huge, huge problems. It is under his watch that the ANC moved from a good 70% 20 for 2004 election to last year's projected locally from local to national 54-56%. That is dismal. So these negative issues are going to be in people's minds while he speaks positive. What I've always find so interesting is that when the president is asked quite correctly, you know, what are the achievements in office? There are two things that I would say. If you go back, and I, th I sometimes think um, that many people forget this, the Mbeki era, the end of the Mbeki era, is that at the time, life expectancy in South Africa dropped to almost below 50 because of mm -hmm. HIV, mm -hmm. and it is now nearly 60. Ten years longer because of ARVs. That was Zuma and uh, the rebellion against Mbeki. Um, mm -hmm. And crime at the time, and, you know, President Mbeki sort of made these claims that crime only affected white people and they were the only ones that, 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 that cried about it, which wasn't true. Um, um, and so he did big changes there, and yet he never brings them up. I'm always struck by that. He has actually brought them up on a few occasions, but I bet you they are so overwhelmed. Yes, that big, the turnaround and big church started turning around and Zuma mm. could take that ball mm. and get mm. the state to implement. Mm. But yes, he's greater definitely, mm. he implemented in a forceful mm. way. And but that even raises more questions. Why could other crucial policy proposals mm. not be have been implemented the way he did? Uh, he managed that. We oversaw that one. We can think of national health insurance, crucial to South Africa. No effective mm. implementation, mm. a poorly conceived plan in many ways. And that's something that's uncontested in the ANC. 
Yes, Astonishingly, yes. Yes, yes, yes it, it is, it is. And uh, if we think of crime, yes, this, co- this comes and goes. So, so those are not... There are so many factors that do have not been seen to, mm. and the big crux is what has happened to the growth, economic growth and unemployment. And there he has there's got much positive on his record. I want to come back to that because there's a point that Moletti and Becky always makes about economic growth. I'll come back to that in a moment. 19 minutes to 1. 011-883-0702. Stanley and Santon. Stanley, hi. Hi, how are you, Stephen? I'm well. Go for it. Yes, no, Stephen, you know, I was really intrigued by the comment that was made by uh, Lumkila about mm. so-called black intellectuals. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm very keen to know what the definition of a black intellectual. Hmm. What yes. constitutes that? Because we talk about black intellectuals, we all have understanding of what that means. Hmm. For me, we, I think we should just talk about intellectuals. Yes. And, and not bring the issue of black or white but well yes I mean your race doesn't determine how you think does it I mean it yes. can for class and social reasons but you don't think alike yes. because you're one group yes yes and I'm very skeptical about uh, the people who posture as black intellectuals because for mm-hmm. me if we look at it in Africa we don't have black intellectuals and I would say a pan kind of intellectual we have intellectuals that Anthony Apia calls Europhone intellectuals. Mm-hmm. Even the intellectuals who have been indoctrinated and they think in a particular way. Even yeah. the tools that they use to, to analyze uh, situations, they, are, they have inherited them from their uh, mm. you know, colonial systems and all that. So uh, I'm, I'm very worried with Lumkile always posturing as a black intellectual. I don't know what that means. Yeah, all right. Interesting point there. Um, one of those things that is very interesting is an interesting sort of philosophical point. Um, sort of battling with my line here to try and uh, switch that phone off. I'm not quite sure what's gone wrong with it, but uh, there seems to be something going on. Professor Boyson, um, just to return to the point around the economy, and I don't want to move away from the black intellectual point, but just while we sort out our technical issue with that call, um, Moletti and Becky says this, if I, and, I, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, so, so you might want to go back and check what he said, but he basically said that liberation movements around the continent um, fail in the end because they can't grow the economy. And his argument goes they are usually broad coalitions of different forces, so urban, rural, uh, middle class, and poor, um, and they come together to fight colonialism, or in our case, apartheid. Um, and then when they run the economy, they can't make hard economic decisions because of that multi-class nature. Now, you would put that on top of the ANC, and I would say he must be nearly almost completely right. Yes, if we look at the ANC has been operating in the last, let's focus on the last decade, and completely distracted by internal politics. Mm. Jacob Zuma came into power on the wings of Trauben Beke's mm. elitism and distance, mm. holding people at alliance parties of resistance, aloofness. People were so angry about that. And Zuma appealed. He was seemed to be warm, connecting. He promised to connect to people in a big way. That didn't last long. That lasted about as long as the ANC Siabonga rallies after the twenty-four, after the next election, the first one that he led South Africa into, a 2009 one, where people were angry and they really started demanding more services and not more new services, but reminded him of what they had ex- you know, voted in for, the ANC in for, expectations. And... He put, immediately put in, started putting in distance, so that um, the, uh, softening didn't, didn't just didn't last very long. 
and then we came to the economy and yes the ANC was just absolutely distracted internal politics ruled bad appointments factional appointments captured appointments ruled and that is a sad legacy that Jacob Zuma brings into especially this latter phase of his role in the ANC one of the things that's fascinating is at the time um, all of this concern in sort of conservative circles you know and by conservative I mean the uh, capital the economist those kind of publications that South Africa was about to have a jump to the left right and 2009 mm. Zuma's first election and I remember a, a spokesperson of the ANC phoning me the day before the launch of the manifesto saying Stephen you can say it's going to be a jump to the left now I mm-hmm. can exclusively reveal that that spokesperson was a fraud and a liar <laughs> um, and was captured today looking I don't know tired and emotional but I've got to ask the question what happened to the jump to the left because that's not what's happened at all that is that is par excellence what the NC does it's uh, our famous authors have also talked about speak left walk right mm. and the ANC is extremely good at this mm. double speak and we, we, you know, they're always talking of the revolution, it's bending, it's just about mm. which phase we are in and the radical each election campaign comes in there, it's just that they always recognize so well what is missing in their policies, that connection into people's bases more equi- equitability um, and, and they just know that that is the gap in there and they want to try to pretend that they are doing more and there's always going to be a new future and it's it one can compare that with the outreach campaigns they do before each new national election like a listening campaign going out to listen to the people to hear in their words what you want but they know very well what the people need and then it's just interesting the way in which the NDZ campaign this time so explicitly latched onto that but then how much left is in there we heard NDZ last weekend in Bulwer in our hometown talk about being pushed what does she mean about radical mm. economic transformation and she referred it built it back down to building factories mm. building factories is not an ideological no. statement at all it depends what you do with rachel and tariffs mm. around that she had no reference to that yes all right you old cynic you uh, <laughs> professor susan boyson from Vitz university with me at uh, 13 minutes now to one o'clock you see mckaiser will take over from one and he'll take you through the president's speech due to start at two richard's on the line from Joburg. richard hi uh, Stephen, uh, good, good afternoon. Can I still respond to the uh, comment that was made earlier that uh, President Zuma's uh, announcement today? Uh, should about about higher education, feel free, go for it. Yes, uh, Stephen, my understanding is, uh, of the uh, constitutional clause that we are represented with uh, democracy is that we, we choose uh, parties, not individuals. So, uh, uh, if, if, if government or where the, the party takes, takes the punch, so the party uh, should be able to control things uh, uh, mm. that people they send to the to the uh, to the parliament to do. Now, from that 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 sense, I think what should happen in between in between between the between the, 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 the last election of the of of the of the of the, of the ruling party. Before the, the national election, and uh, you know, the, should, should it, as, it, as it will be uh, uh, directed by the by the party, it, it, it should be uh, over. It will be overseen by the by the new candidate from the, the latest uh, uh, 
you know, a, a party uh, election. So, uh, it, it, if, if that is correct, then it is not correct for us to say that Cyril should have expected that announcement. An announcement oh, I see what I see what I see what you mean now. Yes, 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 yes. No, I, no, I see I see what you mean, Richard. I mean, I think I think I understand the point that you're trying to make. Essentially, that higher education should be a decision of the ANC, um, not so much just one person. I think I think is where you're trying to go with that, Richard. We're taking your calls on o double one double eight three o seven o two. Your SMSs as well. You can tweet me at Stephen Crudis. My guest with me, also taking your questions, of course, is Professor Susan Boyson. Nine minutes now to one o'clock at afternoon. Eusebius McKaiser taking over from one o'clock. When have I ever said that? I have never said that before. Eusebius McKaiser will be with you from one. He'll be taking President Jacob Zuma's speeches. Of course, he's usually a little earlier in the day. Special broadcast with 702 or through the ANC conference until it is finished. Uh, when is that? I'm not sure. Uh, Professor Susan Boyson. So we've been talking, of course, about the conference. Everyone's talking about the, react, the result of this. I know long-term scenario planners who say, you know, our 30-year future from now, we might come to the same point because of the longer term dynamics although I always say the route that we get there is important um, but the, the ANC, everyone t- talks about a split at this conference, they're long term dynamics that are at play whatever happens at this conference, those long term dynamics continue Yes, indeed. And we, about what to conference happens here will impact mm. the longer term. And the, and the point is, because the ANC is not just a liberation, former liberation movement, but also a very active governing party in a multi-party democracy, they are exposed to the next electoral dynamic. A next electoral dynamic, we've seen several public opinion polls that have pointed, credible ones, that have pointed to the possibility that the ANC might not make that 50% cut-off outright majority point rate level again should there be an NDZ win and should the NDZ should there be an NDZ win and the at the Cyril camp I don't know if I see Cyril leading a new faction but if some mm. if there is a factional mm. split there then he's almost certain to go below a 50 percent level in 2019 elections mm. of course that creates fascinating dynamics in terms of new coalition politics a new grouping like this and we're not even speaking about SACP probably contesting in a situation like that or joining forces with a Cyrilist party they would they could hold the balance of power between the ANC having a majority and not. And can you imagine a split of party like that? Even if it comes out at a modest five, six, seven percent, they could hold the balance of power and it got immensely more power as an independent political party as they would have as an internal, probably suppressed faction within the ANC. Fascinating. I think you just coined a new term, Cyrilist. Um, I wonder if there would be a South African Cyrilist party. Um, <laughs> when we look at this, one of the things that's staggering is when you look at the, uh, the opinion polls, the number of don't knows is incredibly high. Mm-hmm. It's around 25% on some of the polls. 25% mm-hmm. don't know who they would vote for. They're obviously waiting for the results of this. Cyril wins, a lot of those go back, right? Yes, uh, that is, uh, those are all the indications we get. And uh, it's really that 25 percentage points uh, that that's a huge percentage point. That's huge. You know, but that also says something about our preferred politics, and that could relate to abstention by potentially ANC voters in mm. an election, because in the past two months we've seen that happening. People don't choose Im- immediately for an opposition party. They rather go into a holding pattern mm. and sit, sit it out and hope that they could still be a mm. new ANC. And that's people hope, rightly or wrongly, that Cyril could and that camp could start 
a new yes. party that resurrect the old values of mm. the often mythical, but like Camelot, that good, mm. wonderful ANC of the past, and that that could still become available to vote for again. Something that's fascinating, I think I call it the most, for me, it's the most important question in our politics. If you can answer it, you know what's going to happen in the future. Is that they, in Kozazan at Lamini Zuma, is espousing land expropriation without compensation, radical economic transformation. And the question really is, would people vote for that or not? And you would think, I mean, in a very sort of crude analysis, people often look at the demographics of the country and think, well, a party pushing that's obviously going to win, right? Mm-hmm. And then you say, well, hold on, Julius Malema has been pushing that below 10%. But the PAC pushed that in 1994, 1%, I think it was. Um, so, so the question then is, is the appetite for that there or not? You would think that it is, but there doesn't seem to be that much evidence that it's overwhelmingly supported. This is such a fascinating issue. Yes, we imagine intuitively that is what poor people want. Mm. But did you not? We've also seen very recently in a set of opinion polls that ETV, mm. ENCA, ENCA broadcast that. And that is so clear in a very credible poll. And it shows that people rather support some, a policy that they think are going to create jobs. Mm. And we, but we've seen that even earlier 1990s mm. election that we did basically for the ANC that showed people rather interested in getting jobs and making their own lives in a modern economy in a modern South Africa. And that land has a huge symbolical value. But that is often where it ends. Because, I mean, the phrase, and I think this is a bad development, the phrase, bring, give back my land, is sometimes used as a joke. Yes. Not by white people, certainly. Um, the fact that it becomes a joke for some people actually is quite damaging. That's not a good thing at all. Yes, and that resonates so well with the election campaigns we've seen between mm. these two candidates. That radical economic transformation, often not often used in a sense to veil other bigger wrongs, things that other parties have been looking at and not being sincere about it. And that played into the worst of preceding patterns. Okay, so in a few minutes, in an hour and fi- in a few minutes, we'll have the start of the conference. Are you expecting disruptions on the floor? We've got, you know, delegates from three provinces now. Some of them won't be able to actually vote. Are you expecting objections? Are we expecting another Lakota moment? You know, it all depends which session and part of the program we're looking for. When Jacob Zuma delivers his political report or mm. opening statement, those are conventional ceremonial s- situations. Mm. Not there, no. But then later in the afternoon, I believe Jesse Duarte has PTSG will be delivering the credentials mm. report and there the chickens might come home to roost and the pennies will drop that people will realize if it's a difference of around 260 etc potentially disqualifications how does that change the dynamics in the actual voting and that is where problems can arise and I really do expect objections there unless the provincial leaderships have emphatically in their national executive committee meeting this morning of which they were part agreed, yes, we will control our delegations, it will be smooth, there's much more at stake like the image of the ANC being able to conduct an orderly conference. I've asked this person of some uh, other people um, today, but uh, I've seen analysis that suggests if the difference in the votes in the final tally is fewer than 150, there's going to be chaos. It's not going to be anyone's fault, it's just going to be too close. Yes, because... um, 
if we do inter- reasonably that space, we can do calculations at this stage. It's going to be a, change, a few hundred difference between the two. But if it goes down to 150 or sells even 250 around there, and people know that these disqualifications that made the difference, they're going to be big trouble. And of course, it also opens the road post-conference that big trouble there where people can challenge court-wise. Now, KZN it has been granted leave to appeal, but Northwest and the Bujanala region, that's a big, big factor there. But it could open the road for post-conference contestation. I've had uh, fence-sitters as all of my guests. Who's going to win? Given the current disqualifications, before that, my personal calculations saw a minor, like in a few, mm. two, three hundred uh, advantage to Nkosazana Luminizuma. Mm. But given that this, we've got these disqualifications and the momentum might switch at this stage, this morning, this hour, I would say Cyril leads by a hair's breadth. You're the first person to come off the fence today. Thank you very much indeed. (laughs) Well, thank you. Eusebius McKaiser, of course, will be with you um, in a few moments. There'll be a news bulletin, full update of everything that's been going. What the delegates are up to, you'll want to know what they're up to as well. You want to hear from them. We are not allowed to go and approach them. They're allowed to approach us, we understand, which means, of course, (laughs) that they don't. Um, Then, of course, President Jacob Zuma will be speaking after 2 o'clock. You'll hear that uh, on Radio 702. And after him, some of the sessions will close. Key moments later today, the nominations process, when people actually nominate, that will be incredibly important, and that's when we'll know exactly what this race is.